Hello and welcome to the NMA podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer, and I'm here with Charles Wormsley, news editor. Hi, Charles. Hi, Ollie. How are you? I'm good. Yes, good. Uh, this week, Charles and reporter Elliot will be speaking to former Hull City and Sheffield United footballer Ryan France about transitioning from Premier League football to an SJP advisor. Uh, but first, Charles, you've been combining two of your great passions this week, I understand, football and cryptocurrency. What has specifically been in this niche news subset this week? Yes, yes, I have indeed. Uh, two of my favourite things. Um, so I'm sure football fans listening will re- remember the Galacticos of Real Madrid. If you don't, the idea was basically to sign the best player in the world every summer, uh, or failing that, the most marketable. So I think David Beckham, uh, the original Ronaldo, uh, Zinedine Zidane. Uh, I mean, and the end result of this was uh, they won no trophies for four seasons. So, um, <laughs> But they did become the richest club in the world, so that's something. Um, anyway, the reason I bring this up is this week two former Galacticos have thrown their weights behind cryptocurrencies. So one of them is former England striker turned pundit, Michael Owen. Uh, I wrote about this on the website, uh, so read more. Um, and secondly was Portuguese star Luis Figo. Um, so like all cryptos, they have ridiculous names. Uh, the own coin is Michael Owens. Um, and it's the strikes token is Figo's, and that's strikes with a Z. So, uh, that's appalling. Yeah, for all the uh, investors out there. Um, I mean, and it's just interesting, I think, this whole thing, because... Uh, these currencies are being sold on the basis of bringing fans closest to players, you know, yeah. this whole idea of you, know, you can be part of us. Um, it does make me think, you know, football clubs are always looking to make more money. Uh, how far away are we from you know, the Manchester United, crypto, or the, you know, the Liverpool coin? It's, it can't be that long before mm. someone makes that decision. Great stuff. Thanks, Charles. Um, I'm now going to pass over to you guys for our next section with Ryan France. Welcome. We're here with Ryan France who notably spent six years at Hull City and played in all four tiers of the Football League, one of only a handful of players to achieve that feat. Um, that was between spells at Alfreton Town and Sheffield United. Ryan now applies his trade with SJP as a financial advisor. So obviously there's plenty to talk about here. And uh, I'll, I'll hand over to, uh, to Charles to, to get us started. Yeah, uh, thank you for coming down, Ryan. Um, no problem. So I think, first of all, I wanted to talk a bit about um, why footballers always seem to be in the news for their investment decisions. What goes on? What's, why, why are they always seem to be getting in trouble? Uh, you've started a, a right at the top there, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think it's in particularly just in, in regards to investment opportunities. I just think they're in the, the public eye a lot of the time, aren't they? So um, whether it be investments or their... Um, their social lives or just do it at everyday activities. I think footballers grab a lot of press yes. um, through that. Um, in terms of the investments, I think you know they're a, they're a targeted audience. They're a, they're a vulnerable client, so, so to speak. Um, I think there's a you know I, I mentioned it in my article with you guys that there's a lot of um, advisors in, in in there going. Uh, for me, about it in the wrong wrong way, uh, and and approaching footballers for the wrong reasons, and through my experience as in the game, I'm I'm now doing what I'm doing and trying to do it do it right for these guys, and and you know putting them on a, a path that hopefully will see them transition into a, a career after football yeah. a lot easier than than it than it has been, and I've seen uh, firsthand. 
I mean, what what were your first-hand experiences that you saw at the? You, know, you spoke a lot about it in the article, but it'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it's been a bit more of a lockdown on it since since I've uh, become a financial advisor. Um, you know, there was a lot of lot more unregulated investments, uh, a lot of properties abroad. Uh, one of which I was close to investing in. Um, so you know, I don't know what you know to this day. I just thought you know I've worked hard for my my um my house that i've been paying off um and i was going to take a lot of that uh equity out of my house and yeah. invest and i just decided not to um yeah so i think there was a lot more unregulated but with the new rules and everything i think it's a lot more difficult for that to to go about uh, these days so um yeah and I, i'm quite happy with that because i have always been and i always will continue to be a straight down the line sort of guy and wanting to do things for the right reasons and if maybe if I'd have got you know started advising a, a fair few years back I would have been at a, a disadvantage to these guys that um, you know are promising the world so to speak yeah. and, and not delivering on that now I believe you know we're at an even an even key because you know it's all about regulated investments for me uh, medium to long-term investments um, and doing it for the right reasons it, Past my impression of this is that a lot of the time um, when footballers talk about this and even in advisors that it was kind of a, a group mentality. So one person would have invested in this property scheme and come and said, you know, my advisor's great, he's invested in this, you should also. And it would be it would be a team, whole team would end up uh, in one of these tax schemes. I remember looking at one and it seems like half of the uh, Liverpool's 2001 squad was involved in it but um, I mean was that your experience was it a team thing that people said this guy's here or yeah yeah I I think so but I I think that happens outside of football as well you know if you hear somebody that's had good advice or whatever or you've you've eaten at a good restaurant if you go and tell your friend they're more likely to go and eat at that restaurant it's the same with financial advice Um, within football yeah you get one lad you know investing in in, in an investment um, he tells his teammates, but th- you see, this is what I want to happen now. You yeah. know, with the with the guys that I'm looking after, um, and it is happening because you know I feel as though I'm doing a, a, a good job for them, um, and they're therefore recommending me to their their colleagues, friends, and family. Um, into, at, at that point, you can't blame the lads. You know, at, at, you know, in in the past, whether it be regulated or unregulated, they were only going on what they felt was the best. Yeah. Um, if they at the time thought they were getting good advice, um, like I said, whether it be regulated or unregulated, unregulated, they they weren't doing anything wrong. They were just passing on what they thought was right. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I think it, it, it did snowball effect, and a lot of a lot of individuals got involved in it. <clears throat> I've got you know I, I you know as we mentioned earlier, I experienced quite a bit of that during my time, and fortunately, I I swerved clear of one of those. Did did you have did you notice any kind of proportionality? I, I imagine you did with having that unique experience of playing at, at all levels of the football league. Was it you know, directly proportionate? The, the higher up the leagues you went, the more advisors were turning up, wanting to recommend these investments. I mean, were they were they turning up at training grounds, or you know, how were they going about getting in touch? Yeah, I think it did definitely increase. You know, when I first got uh, with Hull City, in what at the time was Division Three. Uh, which is the equivalent to League Two now. Um, you know, we wouldn't have seen a financial advisor unless we went out and and seeked that advice. Um, 
it wasn't until you know top end championship Premier League that we had financial advisors or professionals of other occupations coming in and and offering advice. Which you know, don't get me wrong, I do believe in. I do believe that, that you know, not only footballers, a lot of individuals in different sporting backgrounds, not even in sport, need need advice and need professional help and and professional expert, expertise to help them. Um, but it tended to be, you know, one week one advisor from one profession, one week the next, and you just didn't know where you stood with that. Um, so I, I don't know what could be done. I don't, you know, I don't know if that still goes on. I think the PFA certainly have, have clamped down on that because, you know, I, I know quite a couple of uh, a couple of guys at the PFA, and I've tried to speak to them and try and, you know, help them help footballers and do it right. Uh, but I think they've they've gone right on lockdown, which it's it's only in protection of, of of the players, which is rightly so. But they do still need help. Out of interest, what do the PFA do in this respect? Um, well, the PFA are always there if you need you know help um, in in any sort of aspect of being a professional footballer. They are our union, you know. They do help if if required. I think the only thing uh, about the PFA which is quite difficult is they they, they are quite reactive. So, you know, I believe a lot of the players don't know the questions to ask yes. in the first instance, you know, so, um, but you, having said that, is it down to the clubs to do a little bit more? Is it down, you know, and then, um, because, uh, you know, the PFA have got quite a lot on the plate anyway yeah. as, a, as an organisation and they are there, you know, you can't knock them, they are there if, if needed. Um, but what I'm trying to do, and it's quite difficult, as you know, myself and under the umbrella Greece Financial Service, under the umbrella St James's Place, is to try and go in on his own and try and help these individuals, um, because I, I, I do I, I do believe in what I do, and I do believe it's doing it for the right reason and making sure that these these lads have the the options that maybe I didn't have when I come out of football, and I know a lot of you know people. And colleagues of mine have experienced the same. It's them options. They don't, you know, they don't, these guys don't necessarily know what they want to do after football. They may have um, these great salaries, these great, you know, incomes coming in. But making sure that they're concentrating on that, but also putting something to one side that when they do retire, at say, I, you know, I always use 35 as the average. It may be more, it may be less. That at that point, they don't need to know what they're gonna do but they've got options to do what they want to do at that point instead of being forced into you know, making a, a, a career decision that they may not want to do for the rest of their lives because at the end of the day, at 35, it's not, it's the, yes, it's the end of one phase of your life and your career, but now for me, you know, transitioning into a financial advisor, it's opened up a whole new world for myself and I'm so excited about doing financial advice and doing it right and, you know, being as good as I can be again, once again. So I've got the whole of my future again, you know, and I think a lot of footballers believe that's it, that's the end, what am I going to do now? Um, and for me in particular, yeah, planned, I planned a bit into my pension, probably could have done more like we all say. But I'd not had that initial, you know, investments that I could use at age 35 or I retired at 31 and it came out of the blue. Maybe I would have started planning at 31 to 35, who knows, but I'd not done it enough. So at 31, I had to go in, into work that I wasn't too sure I wanted to do. So I tried a few things and like I said, it wasn't until I found financial advice that again, my world's opened up again and I'm, I'm quite um, excited about the future once again.
And how, how big a, a culture shock is that sort of retirement transition period for someone who maybe unlike yourself hasn't necessarily put any planning into it at all and is suddenly thrust out into the real world if they don't have a, a financial plan in place um, how detrimental can that be to them personally in the long run? Well you, you see you've got a two, two-fold attack there I mean the difficult the main difficulty of retiring from football forget about the income is retiring from football I mean um, yes I, I, I had a, a bit of a different background of my route into football. I went to university first because I got released when I was younger and kind of fell into professional football through playing at Alfreton and just enjoying my football. Now some of the lads have not done that so they've not seen kind of the real world. They're just in football and they are doing what they love to do, what they know how to do week in, day in, day out, hour in, hour out, week in, week out, year by year. Um, and when that comes to an end, whether they've got enough investments to help them transition into a new career, or they've got nothing at all, that moment is still as difficult as you know one of the most difficult uh, experiences of their life. So to have investments and to have options is to make that transition you know, easier and better. It's not going to be easy anyway. But it's to make it easier and make them, you know, switch their mind from being the best professional football, the best sports athlete, the best in what they've always known doing and transition them skills because they can, because I've done it. And a lot of, you know, I'm not saying I'm the only person, but a lot of people have done it. But you, you do hear the stories where, you know, it's, it is difficult. It's a difficult time of your time of your life. And how did you, how did that transition come about for you? I mean, did SJP sort of uh, approach you initially? I mean, they, they seem to have developed a track record recently of, of taking on former professional sports people and, and turning them into successful advisors. I mean, is that is that kind of a, a conscious strategy or is that something that just kind of fell into? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, SJP, I don't, I don't know if they chase anybody. They're a big enough organisation for people just to want to work for them. I thoroughly believe in them. I think they're a great, a great company. Uh, but you are left in your own, you know, it's our business, it's Greaves, it's myself, it's us driving the business just with the the umbrella of St James's Place who are, you know, like I said, for me, the number one financial advisory um, organisation out there. Like I said, at 31, I didn't just fall, yeah, SJP didn't come knocking at the door for me. I didn't fall into um, SJP's arms and oh, they didn't come after me. I mean, I tried uh, sales roles, I tried um, sports massage therapy. Um, I tried all sorts of different things because I'm quite a sociable kind of guy. I like to meet new people. I, like, I feel as though I get on well with you know, anybody that I uh, speak to. Um, so I thought I could get that across in a sales role. Um, but I, I'm not the kind of guy that pushes. So if I'm sat opposite a buyer and he says no, I'm not one of these that then <laughs> prod the finger. So I, I really strain. And then when you're doing calling and stuff, I, I quite find it quite difficult to get your personality over a phone. So I found it quite difficult in them. Um, in, in anything I did up until financial advising, I couldn't see myself doing it for 20 minutes further, 20 days more, in my 20 years. And, and at the end of the day, at, at that point, I was only 32, 33. I've still got a long, long time left of working life, you know. So I, I, I'm not a quitter. I'll never, I'll never quit, but I know when I, I don't want to do something. And, you know, those roles just didn't suit me. So 
you know, I was speaking to the next door neighbour, I was speaking to the next door neighbour's brother-in-law and, and, and we just had conversations and when I'd had those conversations and, you know, Rob Steele, who's now an SJP partner, he always has been, he introduced me to the academy and I had the interviews. As soon as I started speaking to Rob, I knew that financial advice may give me that, you know, that buzz, that spark again to be the best at what I can be. Um, so, yeah, so I went through the SJP Academy, which was absolutely fantastic after four interviews, uh, four interview process, because they don't accept anybody on the Academy. It's a very big financial commitment on St. James's Place part. They actually pay you to teach you. So you do four interviews. I think it's one in 12 from the first interview to the getting on the Academy, you know, get on there. The final interview I had at London, and it was com completely different to what I've been used to, you know, I get go to the SJP building in London and there's a big board table and you've got three really well thought of guys firing questions at you for an hour and 15 minutes and I'm here for, fresh out of football and sales and I'm like Whoa. so it was one of those just try and be yourself you know if that's good enough luckily you know they invited me back and I was on the academy so really tough six months um, study and again completely different you know I'd, I'd switched my mind off for eight years academically you know I've been to uni but um, you guys are clever guys. Anyway, you know that um, it's 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 difficult when you get it, but when you switch off, it's even harder to get back into into the mold. So it was a very intense six months, but I can't speak highly enough of it. You know, it got me to where I where I need to be. Like I'm in exam mode a little bit at the minute because I'm going for chartered. Uh, you know, I've got me. Academic head on again. I've got AF1 coming up in April, which is scaring me because it's just tax and CII world, and it's really hard. <laughs> so I guess with uh, with regards to look at looking at the future, um, I mean, with, within financial advice, I mean, do you, do you have any kind of any any ideas as to what what you want to what you want to do in terms of you know career progression? Moving, do, do you have sort of aspirations to kind of lead lead your own firm and to sort of carve out a, a niche that way? Um, a difficult one um, because I, when I left the academy, I went on my own for about six months, and it's a very lonely world. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't join Greaves Financial Services because of I felt lonely. I felt I, I met Jamie at a, a, a Fiverside St James's Place Fiverside tournament, and it was. Did you win the tournament? Uh, no, I, th I don't know. No, I think we got knocked out in the group. No, I don't know actually. It's a long <laughs> two years ago. A lot's happened. So, uh, <laughs> that, must be, that must be cheating a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Turn up to a five aside. Oh yeah, I used to play in the Premier League. But yeah, never mind. yeah. It shows you how bad Jamie was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we had a we had a team and it, it were instant. We got on well. So he just said, you know, come and uh, sit in in the office. He's he's in the SJP building in the Leeds office. So just come and be around people if you want. You know, do your admin in and around people instead of you know being on your own. So I did, and I got involved, and we carried on talking. And I just thought, you know, straight out of the academy, I'd had six months book training, a uh, few role plays that nothing is like the real thing sitting in front of people. Um, trying to learn all that whilst doing all the uh, process in the business, while chasing providers, while doing all this and trying to do the best you can for the client. I weren't going to develop as well and, and as quickly as I wanted to. Uh, and, you know, Jamie's got, you know, 15 years um, experience in the industry. His dad, who's still in the practice, has got maybe another 
10 years on top of that experience in the business, maybe even more. Um, I don't want to say any more because he'll start hammering me because he'll say he's, I'm saying he's old. <laughs> but it's all them, and, and they are so willing to pass on their information to me because I am, you know, I like a sponge when it comes to anything like that. Now, going back to the question, uh, Elliot, it's like, do I want my own practice? At this moment in time, no, because I'd like to help Greaves get to all new levels and, you know, get all these, you know, new clients under Greaves Financial Service. I know I believe in Greaves as well. I think they're a, a great company. They've got great staff uh, within there. We've got a great team and nucleus. So for me to have thoughts of going on my own at this stage, it, it won't, it's, not, it's not what I want. Do you think, from a, from a hiring standpoint, think footballers with the sort of approach that you obviously had, which is sort of you know, knuckle-down, hard-working, sort of loyal team player, really. That sort of, you were kind of a utility wide man, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, well, as my career developed, I went wide. I was wide, then I moved inside when I'd not got to beat players as much. And then I went back to right back where I just, yeah. <laughs> and then on the bench, <laughs> and then for and then retired. So, so does that, does that <laughs> will, be like willingness to kind of, uh, you know, adapt, adapt as, as, you, as you change? You, you adapt how you, how you operate and how you, you sort of interact with, with the rest of the team. Do you think there's, there's, there's a, some transferable skills for footballers in general that have the right attitude? Obviously, a lot of them don't. But for ones like yourself that have the right attitude, to to really be successful on a, on a broader scale in financial services, and for more of them to consider it a career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've introduced a company called Life After Professional Sport, which a pal of mine, Robbie Simpson's running, um, and and they are now on the on the a, a preferred partner of St James's Place Academy. You know, I put two and two together and got four with them because you know laps want to help uh, individuals after sport you know with the CVs and writing CVs and being prepared for that transition and St James's Place Academy gives them the op gives gives them the opportunity to transition into financial services so if it's of any interest to the chaps there that they then they they're interested in that that's the next route and that's what I I I did obviously but you see I think sports people in in particular have so many trans transferable skills coming across to any any occupation that they want to get in you know that drive and that that th um, thick skin and that um, you know desire to be the best it, it helps it stands you in good stead if you you know you you redirect them all from running about as fast as you can kicking a ball as hard as you can and you know being a good footballer to <laughs> directing it into but the thing that what the thing that I think the most difficult thing is, and I found <coughs> I found this the most difficult is directing those skills into something that you believe in, and something that you want to do day in day out. Because I didn't before, and I think the hardest thing is finding that one thing. Now, financial services obviously is not going to be for everyone. It, it's just not. Uh, I don't know how many you know percentage wise. It's just not. And whether whether the the, the guys that want to. You know whether financial services want them is a different thing. What was your favourite memory across your whole football career? It was probably my debut actually playing in the football league, and I, you know I come on at, at, at Kidderminster at home uh, when we beat them six-one, um, and it was a it was a, a really surreal uh, time because I'd gone on try I'd, I'd literally come out of university. Um, got my degree wondering then what to do because I'd not got no career path I just were good at maths and sport 
So at university, I got I did a maths degree with sports science. <laughs> they were the two things I was really good at. So I did that, and then out out the back of the uh, university degree, I didn't have a plan on going straight into a job. So um, it was lucky in a way that Hull had come to watch Alfreton, and you know wanted to take me on on a on a two week trial. And after two week trial, uh, Peter Taylor and Colin Murphy gave me the opportunity. You know, two year contract. And I just thought to myself, I had a chat with my dad, who were always the one that I went to with anything like this. And he just said, you know, it's two years of your life. Um, go go and have a go and 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 see what happens. You know, eight years later, that obviously it came to an end pr prematurely, but it could have been six years before that. Um, but that week, I, I think I signed on the Thursday. I made the squad on the Friday and I made the bench on the Saturday and I was thinking, I can't believe I'm even on the bench here. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, uh, I don't know how long was left, but Peter Taylor uh, gave me the nod and said, go and get warmed up kind of thing. Obviously, you just keep warming up, but it was like, go and get warmed up, you're coming on. I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. And um, it was it, it, because, I, I, I don't know, it, it, I didn't get nervous. But I was m nervous before I went on, but when I went on, you kind of, your mind's taken away. It's, like I said, they could be, the KC Stadium held about 30,000. I think there was about 15 in it, for maybe even less than that. But for me, it were full and empty at the same time. I didn't know, you know, you, you, once you're on that pitch inside those four white lines, you kind of don't take anything so in. Do you the crap? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, games, it's really so. weird, yeah. But yeah, again, it, that's like one of the strengths that, sports people have, they can get in that zone where it's just you and your 10 teammates against them 11 at the end of the day. And everything that just came, came to me, I either put the ball in the box or I did a little one-two or I got past, it came off. <laughs> it was one of those days where everything come off and then, you know, for, for whatever reason, I'm playing out wide, out right, and I come inside and I look back at the replays and I think to myself, why am I in there? <laughs> you know, why is the manager not like raising his arms saying, get back on the right, Francie? <laughs> and I made myself into the middle and um, Andy Holt crossed the ball in and I just, I was there in the box on my own and slide tackled it into the net and I kind of just stood up and put my hands in the air and just thought, I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not made it, made it, but I've made the, my childhood dream come true and yeah. that's become a professional footballer. And that was the moment that I'd become a professional footballer. I've not made it in the fact that I'd become what I wanted to become, but I'd made it in the fact that I'd, I'd fulfilled a, a long, long childhood dream of coming on, playing and scoring on my debut. And that was just like, a, you know, I got all my uni mates I'm actually seeing after, after here that came down, came over to Sheffield that night and we went out yeah. <laughs> yeah went out for a few drinks so it was uh, it was it was a good day did you ever think you'd be uh, coming on at Stamford Bridge in the Premier League a few years later no no exactly <laughs> it was again but i think that set it set me up for just take it just take it as it comes you know that that two year contract just take it see what happens you know when when you get offered another two year contract just just take it you know you know, negotiate a little bit, you know. <laughs> Couldn't negotiate too much. I, I didn't have enough, you know. <laughs> leverage. Yeah, leveraging <laughs> to, to, to get what, you know, what everybody else was on. I would just take it, just keep taking it, keep, keep on the ride. And the beauty about it is what a ride it was because it was just a wave of, you know, in League Division 3, which it was, but like League 2, League 1, the bat atmosphere, the togetherness and everything. We went into games, winning games rolling over teams we knew we were going to win promotion promotion 
uh, couple of tough leagues, a couple of tough years in the championship, but then we got promotion again, and then we're in the Premier League. It was just such a good wave to be on. Uh, very good times. Who was the best player you played with? Nick Barnby. Nick Barnby. Yeah, yeah. I still speak to Nick every now and again. I've spoke to him a couple of weeks back just called him, asked him how he were. Um, oh, he was. When he when he came to Hull, he, he was he was just on the next page. You knew if you gave it him, if you made a run, you'd get it back. Yeah. Who's the who's the toughest player you played against? <laughs> the best player I played against was Van Persie when I made my debut in the Premier League against Arsenal at home. We lost three one, and he he again he did things that you weren't accustomed to week in week out. He just did like he put the ball in great positions and if the ball went over my head because I was in centre midfield that day and I looked right he'd already be there and he'd, you know he'd, his first touch had put him in a place where the centre half could get nowhere near him and his hold up play he was good in the air his touch was sensational he was it was nice to watch <laughs> let's <laughs> put it that way that yeah yeah about halfway through I just turned around and started watching him <laughs> yeah it was a it was a, a lesson that day it was good only 3-1 but it was they passed it so good they, they were great. Right, I think we can, we can wrap up there. But, uh, Thank yeah. you very much. No yeah. worries. Enjoy Thanks it. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thanks to Ryan for coming in. Uh, now, just before we finish, I have to ask, who won Twitter this week? Um, well, last week, uh, I'm sure you remember, and if you don't, go back and listen. Um, we had Tanya Payne and Edgar Lesby on our podcast to talk about sustainable investing. Um, you can now find the podcast on the Good Money Week website as well. Um, but Tanya has been great on social media since then, informing people on the uh, no-brainer, it seems, that is ethical investing. She's great at responding, so do have a listen to last week's episode, and I reckon if you tweet her questions, she'll happily respond. She has been so energetic this week, and uh, I think we were it was a hands-down um, no-brainer that she would uh, win who's won Twitter. So thanks, Tanya, and uh, as Charles says, make sure you check out that post podcast. It is really, really interesting. Um, that's just about all that we've got time for this week. Um, please don't forget to subscribe to podcasts if you like what you've heard. Uh, and if you do have a few minutes, we'd be grateful if you left us a review on iTunes. You can search for the podcast uh, by just punching in New Model Advisor. That's it for this week. Join us again next time. And thanks for listening.